Welcome back to A Thousand Names for God. My name is Rick Alexander. I'm the host of this show. And if you're getting anything out of it, the best compliment you could give me is to head to iTunes, give us a five-star review, or to share the show with somebody that you think it might resonate with. Without further ado, on to the show. Hey everyone, today I'm going to do a teaching from my book Ambitious Heroes and Heartache, this time out of chapter 9. I haven't done any teachings on this one yet, so I'm pretty excited to talk about it. It's called The Adventure Within. I should say, as always, if you're interested in getting a copy of this book, it's available in all formats, Kindle, softcover, and also Audible. And so I will link that up in the show notes of this episode, but you can go on Amazon and get all of that. And... The idea of the adventure within is something that if you want to evolve yourself in a conscious manner is something that you've got to find. This is something that the religions in the East do a really good job at of of realizing that this approach to consciousness, the idea that consciousness can be mapped out, that levels of consciousness can be understood is something that really we do get from a lot of the teachings in the East. And the idea is that you have to figure out a way to look beyond the trappings of your current situation if you want to realize who you really are because your current situation is dominated by patterns of thought that are conditioned from the past and it's dominated by images of who you think you are you might call those the false self and so there is a unchanging and immutable reality that sits underneath all of that And it's leaning into the adventurer that allows you to begin finding that, the internal adventurer. For me, I mean, I was always an adventurous person, but the idea of taking an adventurous approach to your own conscious experience is something that really didn't come online for me until I got out of the military and started really working with contemplative practices and meditative practices And through that experience, I really started to find joy in realizing that the things that I thought weren't exactly so. And it takes an adventurous mind, I think, in some sense, or an adventurous part of one's own mind we have to lean into to deal with that. Because if not, right, it's kind of, it can be destabilizing or even paralyzing to come to the conclusion that you're not who you think that you are. And the reason it can be destabilizing is because you think that you need to be that person. And so, again, the reason I use the term adventure is because on an adventure, which I've talked about on here many times before, it's one of the things I love about good old-fashioned adventure, as they say, is that you... you approach the world as if it's coming to you new because you don't actually know what's going to happen when you're on an adventure, right? The world is presenting to you as new. Obstacles are absolutely going to rise and you don't know what they're going to be. And so if you go into an adventure of some sort, whether it's a really long hike or something even longer than that, like a multi-day event, something like that, and you expect that it has to unfold based on your expectations, you're going to be in hell really quickly and adventure is not going to be very fun for you, right? Because you're always going to be in an argument with reality, so to speak, expecting it to be different than it is. And that's how a lot of us operate our lives. But if you can let go of that and you can allow the world to present to you as new, 
Well, then you have something to work with because now you're more in reality of what actually is. And so you're not fighting with what is. And so it's kind of the adventurous spirit that I like to take to exploring our own consciousness. That's something that's been really valuable in my own walk. And I started this chapter off with a quote from Pema Chodron, who is a Buddhist nun. She has a bunch of really good books if you're interested in learning from her. But this is a a great quote that she uses. Only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is indestructible be found in us. And so the idea being that the false self on top has to be annihilated if you're going to realize what's real about you, to realize who you really are. So let me get into the chapter here. There are two ways that people tend to view dysfunction in their lives. They either look out into the world for what's wrong, or they turn inward to try and find that within them, to find what within themselves is contributing to the problem they are experiencing. The person who looks outward for answers is at a disadvantage in solving their problems due to the fact that whatever they identify is, by their own definition, not something that they have control over. With only seven or eight decades on earth, changing the external world to find inner peace is a process that we don't have enough time for. If the problem you are experiencing is coming from within, you can position yourself to do something about it. This is really a matter of perspective. The problems we are experiencing won't change until we change the way we engage with them. One of my favorite things to say that I've heard before, I can't remember who said it, otherwise I'd give them credit, but if you change what's within you, it will change what's around you. Ideally, over time, we will learn to see problems through many different perspectives and then act on the one that doesn't leave us a victim to what we are experiencing. The danger that victimhood creates in your life is that it gives away any power you have to affect change. So sometimes I can I, I see that to find a new perspective on an old problem is like, well, you're just changing your perspective, right? There's like a cynical way to look at it is what I'm saying. And I've come up against this with people before. It's like, well, you're just looking at it different. The same, It's the same problem. And it's like, right, but you want to look at it in a way that allows you to engage with it. So there's a huge difference between the thought processes that come from like the Eastern religions, like Hinduism and the West. We tend to view ourselves as the subject and then whatever objects to our reality is the objective world. And we take for granted that it's an objective world. But you don't have to look at the world that way, right? There are many different ways to look at the world, and each is going to tell you something new about the world itself. For example, if you have an apple in your hand, right? Maybe it's an apple that you've eaten before. Uh, The What is it? The Honeycrisp? I think that's my favorite, my favorite apple. And so if I have a Honeycrisp, I know what it looks like, you know, or a Gala. I know what that apple looks like, and I can see it. And it's red and maybe it's got some like greenish hue to it. And so I'm saying this is what an apple looks like. This is the objective world is presented me with an apple, right? And what in the East they would say is like, no, that's occurring in your head. And if you want an example of this, if your dog were to be looking at that same apple, he wouldn't see what you see. Right? And so what that means is that your conscious perception of the world, it allows, it has a sort of narrow band of energy in which it allows itself to perceive and the world is presenting to you based on your perception of that thing. 
there's no way of saying what that thing actually is, what color that actually is, because if you're looking at it through different eyes, it has different, it, it takes on different qualities. And so the qualities of the objective world are colored by your subjective perception. And so in the East, they would say, well, there is no actually an apple. What's actual is the part that's a you, the, the processing system. You're what's actual. And I think that can be a really helpful, though hard for our Western minds to start to grasp, right, to grapple with. It, it's like taking a different approach to reality. But it can also be really helpful to loosen your grip on reality and just say, well, maybe what I think isn't exactly right. Maybe the way the world it presents to me, I've actually colored with a whole bunch of my own perceptions, my own understandings, right? It's like the word God or the the name of this podcast, for example, A Thousand Names for God. I've heard from many people that the name itself rubs them the wrong way. And the reason being is because they've, they have, they're perceiving the what quote unquote objective world based on their perceptual history and in their perceptual history there's only one name for god and so there isn't a thousand names and so kind of what i'm saying here and what i'm doing with this whole podcast is saying well let's loosen our grip on reality because if we do maybe we can better understand what it's actually like because if you think that you're correct and you turn out not to be and you've built your entire life based on a whole bunch of assumptions, then it could be that you base your whole life on a whole bunch of lies. And people end up in that situation all the time in life, right? Like, for example, if you are with somebody for a really long time and they cheat on you, well, what happens? You start to backtrack and realize, well, I thought that they loved me and I thought this and I thought that. And so what happens, the pain that's taking place is that reality isn't matching up to what you had wanted it to be. So if you can loosen your grip on it, you stand a chance at understanding what it's actually like rather than trying to make it conform to you. Or you can understand at least that why it's presenting to you in a certain way and then you can make different decisions going forward. I'm convinced that so much growth work and so much spiritual development is actually about just arriving in the present moment without the story. You know, no story about who you're supposed to be or what's supposed to happen or, happen or what should happen. Just here now, allowing the world to present to you as new. And in that place, you realize, maybe I don't even need an opinion about what's supposed to happen or what people are supposed to be like because it's all pretty good when you don't have any sort of expectation about it when you arrive in the present moment and allow it allow life to just meet you based on what it really is so let me continue here this is not to say that we are never legitimately victimized by what occurs in our lives but rather that the modern person stumbles when they do it to themselves this is especially true when we're talking about the drudgery of everyday life. The ego often feels justified in holding on to all of the ways in which we were wronged. Over time, people will create their whole identity as a martyr to this thing or that, all the while not understanding that they are effectively giving their power to change to the circumstances they've, been, they've found themselves in. The unfortunate cycles of negativity, be they war, abuse, trauma, or hate, will only cease to continue when someone steps into the fray and sets down their right to get even with the world. Everything that happens to us is a chance to stop that thing from happening to someone else. For this reason, the conscious adult is the only hope the world has to make true positive change. Until they emerge, we will find ourselves mired in the aforementioned cycles. 
I want to say something about that because I felt for a long time like I kind of expected myself out of the world. And when the world didn't present to me in a way that was, well, I don't know, acceptable, I guess, then I would find myself frustrated and I would find myself mad and I, they, they would become the problem. And when you live in that way, there's an endless number of they's who can become the problem. And what you're doing is you are you are, well, to use an Eastern perspective, you're wrapping yourself deeper in the illusion, in the Maya, that you are separate from that thing. Because remember, remember in the, the Eastern philosophy, the Eastern world, in, and again, it can just be a good thought experiment for you. There's all of the, the way the world presents to you is, is in division, as separateness, right? But remember, the East would say, but that's a product of your perception of the world. Actually, if you get below that, the sort of, what would you say, the existential ground of being, so to speak. It's like we're all one. Everything is one. All, you know, that's everything is God. Everything is the manifestation of God, you could say. And so the reason, imagine like a bubble, like a, everything has one bubble. The reason you can't do something to somebody else without it hurting you is because if you poke that bubble, it's going to ripple the whole entire thing, right? And so that's a way of, of thinking of the the way that, for example, in, in the Hindu world, they have conceptualized reality. And so if you if that if you do that to your brother, you're doing that to you. If you do that to your sister, you're doing that to you. And so then you see how what happens is when you're wrapped up in this righteousness of expecting yourself out of other people, and then you don't get it, and then you're angry, and then you sling hate, you see that's what I was saying in the karma episode. Like that's about you, that's not about them. You can't you can't do anything to them without doing something to you. And so you're you're wrapping yourself deeper in the division and, and or another way of saying it is you're moving further away from the oneness, right? And if you move into the oneness, that's where peace is, right? Because obviously that's where harmony is. And as you are on this path of trying to realize what's true about you, and I'm, you know, I'm taking more of the metaphysical perspectives here as I'm talking about this, metaphysical slash psychological, as you move closer to finding out what's true about you, you find out what's true about everybody else because that place is one. That's the point right there. And there's something else I wanted to say about this. For this reason, the conscious adult is the only hope the world has to make true positive change. Oh yeah, now I remember. <laughs> We're in this world right now where I think a lot of people are asking themselves like how to how they can affect the world in a positive way. I think if you try to go out and change the world, which is kind of what I'm saying in this book, you're, you're going to run into a lot of troubles because you don't live that long. And so to think that you could understand the complexity of the world is something that I think is probably the first error that's going to present to you in that situation. It's like thinking, you know, we look at all these problems that are occurring right now, like look at Afghanistan or whatever. It's like to think that you understand the complexity of that problem is to really drastically underestimate the complexity of reality itself. And so you just don't have enough time to do that. But what you can do is you can contribute honestly to the world that you want to be a part of. And what I would say is that there's nothing else you can do because all of those problems are the result of people thinking that they know what's best for the world, that they can fix it. And so 
they drive on into the illusion and they confuse it even more. And this is what we do fundamentally. We're constantly authoring energy into the world. And so if you stop all of that for a moment and recognize that maybe you don't understand the full complexity of it all, but what you can do, what is more manageable is yourself, that gives you a place to start working. But right now we're seeing more and more division, you could say, more and more delusion, more and more separateness. We're, we're getting further away from each other, not closer. It's really easy to find your identity in that separation and to lose yourself to that separation. And then you get a divided mind. So what you want to do is bring all of your perceptual lens, bring all of your senses back into the self. It's what Thomas Mann would call the hermetic pedagogy. What that is, is like sealing yourself off from the world so that you can find your own center. Not forever, right? Not, not, not forever. But it's like the idea, it's the same reason that a monk, like there would be a monastery or something like that, is so that you can get separation from all of the all of the things that are pulling your sense organs toward them and pulling your identity out from the center get separation from that find out what's real and what's true about you and then you get to contribute to the world in a way that's real and true rather than chasing shadows chasing ghosts chasing the division losing your sense of identity out in the world i think as the world is starting to become more and more tumultuous, the opportunity to lose yourself is going to become more and more frequent. Now, there's a mythic motif that as the world grows more unstable, awakening, individual awakening becomes quickened. So as the collective grows more unstable and more asleep, the individual is going to have more of an imperative to wake up. And that's because partly because of exactly what I'm describing right here is as the world gets more crazy, you're going to feel yourself pulling, pulling out, pulling out from the center until if you just keep going with it, you won't have any idea who you are. You'll only know yourself in relation to these issues and this polarization. And that is a signal. There's an invitation there for you to come back home to you. It's putting it right in your face. And that's why individual awakening is going to become quickened doesn't mean everybody's going to wake up a lot of people kill themselves you know a lot of people as i leave lose themselves in escapism i certainly know that pull myself so it's not saying that like everybody's going to wake up but it's going but everyone doesn't need to wake up too let me also put that out there if enough people find the center within themselves and find more of a single-minded way of being in the world and what i mean by single-minded is you're not you're not divided, you know, it's like in, in the New Testament, Jesus says, like, you can't serve money and God. You can't serve two things at once. You can't have two masters. And the way that human psychology works is that we're all serving something. We're Because we're making decisions and our, our decisions are in service to something. And even if we haven't specified what that thing is, we're still in service to something. And so if we can forget about the confusion and the delusion and the separateness for a moment, and we can find the center within ourselves. This is Thomas Mann's hermetic pedagogy. And we can find out what's real and what's true for us and what we serve. Then we can, then our mind grows less divided, you know. But as we give into senses, for example, like the desire to gratify the senses, that's one thing that will divide the mind. As we give into things like greed and lust or what they call the seven deadly sins, those are things that divide 
the mind. And that's what I mean by we all are serving something. You're making decisions in service to something. And if you don't know what that is, it's not that doesn't you don't get a choice in that, right? It doesn't mean that you're not serving anything. It just means you're doing it unconsciously, right? And for most of us, that is what's happening. And the imperative, when we realize that, when we realize, geez, our mind is growing divided. I don't really know what's up right now. I don't even know how I want to contribute to the world. It's like, well, there's your invitation to come back home and find that out for yourself. It's not going to be an easy process. And that's why I say, well, we've got to be an adventurer. <laughs> you know, you've got to approach it in a way that's like not expecting that reality is going to hand it all to you on an e- on a silver platter. You know, it's like there's something inherent in the adventurer, the, the archetype of the adventurer, I mean, that is open, you know, that is open to seeing new ways of doing things, that is open to struggle. Because if you have an expectation that it's going to be easy or that you should know who you are, or that you should know what you want, you're going to be severely disappointed because it takes time. That was the whole point of Thomas Mann's hermetic pedagogy. And that's the whole point of, again, like like the writings in the Bhagavad Gita, for example, in the, in the Hindu scriptures. It's like, No, pull yourself back from the world. Pull yourself back from gratifying the senses and find the real self. Because what you find in the real self, which is described as the Atman, is that that's what's connected to God. That's what's connected to the all, to the real with a capital R, to Plato's absolute, right? And when you find that, then you find the place where it's all one. And then you're not struggling with the division of mind, so to speak. But just like, you know, if you're going to climb a mountain, right? That's why I'm using the archetype of the adventure. It's like, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's going to demand all of you. You know, the more, the higher the mountain is, the more it's going to demand of you. And there's no higher mountain than the holy mountain that God's at the top of. And so that's the one that you really have to take the spirit of an adventure and but it's really a good way of thinking about this process because it's not quick. There are ups and downs or obstacles. There's so much that you're going to have to go through. All right, let's move on here. Our typical response to our problems is to change everything except our inner state. Ironically, we often respond by trying to lose ourselves in the world. We make drastic changes in our appearance and go on trips to quote unquote find ourselves. While a shift in perspective gained from a new spot on the map can be beneficial, what you inevitably find is that the search will never turn over the answers you're looking for, regardless of how far you travel or where you go. When the dust finally settles, you will still be the same person who started running all that time ago. This mode of existential problem solving is rendered ineffective by the fact that you cannot possibly escape yourself while simultaneously finding yourself. Acting as if one can be found has a tendency to position us so that we're looking outward in our search. If we can just be in the right place or get the right job, we reason, all our troubles will go away. Instead, we should strive to know ourselves on an intimate level. This level of self-knowledge is typically the result of radical honesty and a commitment to staying in the tension of emotion without running, coping in a harmful way, or hiding. Most of our dysfunction occurs because we only know the character we've been playing for the world, the persona we believe we need to be to find belonging and love. Once you begin to get a glimpse of the freedom found in rediscovering the real you, the mask will begin to lose its appeal rather quickly. 
Knowing oneself is not about creating the new, but rather dredging up the forgotten and working through the ignored. You, in the truest sense of who you are, have been buried under the chaotic world around you. You must go back to the very moment you walked out of your essence and into the world. This is where the original fracture in your psyche took place, so this is where you will need to go to mend it. By reparenting your inner child and teaching them to face the world without the mask, you reclaim the best of who you are. You know, that's a little bit of like what me and Danielle were talking about on the last podcast is this external God image that we have in the West kind of prepares us to look externally for our answers. And so we're always looking out to solve our answers. And so then we think, well, if there's a problem that I have in the world, let me just change something externally and then that will solve my problem. And again, I think this is where just having a familiarity, familiarity, that's a hard word, um, with the East can be really helpful for helping you reconfigure the way you're thinking about who you are in relation to the world that you're actually in, right? And because if you go about trying to change the external world to solve internal problems, this is what we've been talking about the whole time. You don't have enough time for that because the external world is very complex. And you enter into all of those different things when you enter into the external world. And so I think it's better to look inward and say, well, what's happening with me? This is something that if I really focus on and I really have the right attitude and I have enough sort of moral courage to do it, I can find my answers. You know, because it's like it's not like you know exactly who you are. I mean, most of us have no idea who we really are. And so even that is an adventure in and of itself. And actually what that requires too is that when you turn and focus on yourself, that you kind of approach yourself as if you were another, like as if you were another person. And what I mean by that is you have to create a bit of objectivity so that you can watch yourself so that you can figure out what is it that I'm guarding? What is it that I'm looking for? What is it that I'm making my decisions in service to? And if you can do that, then you can start to understand because if you don't get objective, if you don't create that observer, that witness of your life and actually create the awareness around what you're doing, you're going to be so gripped by what you're doing and by the emotions and the experiences that are pulling the strings, so to speak, in the background, that it's going to be very hard for you to understand. And so this process of turning inward, it's no less adventure, right? Because you don't actually know. And that is a really important disposition to take toward the psyche because the psyche, you don't exactly know what the psyche wants. And this is what the beginning of all wisdom is, right? It's the, it is the not knowing. It's the admittance of not knowing. And you're, you're no different when you face yourself. And so what you do when you start to pay attention to your internal world is that you act as if you don't know because you can't learn what you already know. And so if you already know and you've concluded wrongly, then you'll miss the answer, right? You'll miss the, the root, so to speak. So just something to consider. There's a difference between being socially adjusted and conforming to the point of no longer knowing who you are. Um, insert any quote you want about our modern culture. <laughs> what most people miss is that you can be well-adjusted socially and still stand on your own truth and pursue your own path. You won't lose any friends or connections that matter because anyone who would not support authentic growth isn't actually interested in you, but rather in using you to prop up their own self-image. 
If you believe you must choose between belonging and authenticity, you are either holding on to a story to keep yourself from really going after what you want, or holding on to people who are not serving what you really deserve. To think that those ideologies are competing is a gross oversimplification of the human psyche. We have finite minds, but they are plenty capable of maneuvering through what it is that we want while still coming into harmony with our environment. Give yourself the gift of understanding that and you'll start truly feeling as though your direction direction in life has intrinsic meaning to you. Right now, we're being asked to choose between belonging and authenticity in ways that we've never been asked to before, not in our lifetime, right? And so... Yeah, there's a lot of people that are caving in on themselves. There's a lot of people that are abandoning themselves. There's a lot of people that are abandoning their conscience. And you know, the only thing I'll say is your conscience, you can understand is your Christ within. You know, that's your that's your link to divinity, so to speak. And if you betray that, it's very difficult to figure out which direction you should go next because that's your the most real compass that you actually have. I want to add a note here about exactly how difficult the process of authenticity really is, especially when you feel that the people around you are rejecting the real you. It's worth understanding that there are moments in the hero's journey that are completely riddled with upheaval. It feels lonely, and often it is. What the hero must learn to trust is that when they finally let go of what they are holding on to, the right things will begin to show up. Stated another way, once a soul is on the true path, the right souls will show up to help. People who aren't able to trust in that process never let go of their old life and thus never end up getting the one they were meant for. The detachment from the old before the secure attachment to the new is the scariest part of the journey. It feels like we're heading into no man's land where chaos is the rule of the day. Get clear in that place without the desire to run back to old familiar ground and you will begin to find secure footing. So I've talked about that quite a bit, about how we have to let go of what we're holding on to in order to get what's actually meant for us. We have to let go of the safety and the old patterns if we're going to become the person that we're actually here to become. But there's another part in here where where the journey gets lonely. And that's really interesting because if you think about... Um, I'm not super familiar with Star Wars, but I'm going to attempt an uh, analogy here. But like Luke, Luke Skywalker finds Yoda, right? He finds that inner sage. Because if you're going to understand myth or story psychologically, you understand that the whole thing's taking place within you, right? Like there's a part of you that's the dark force and the light and the hero, you know, all this. And so when we find ourselves in the part of our growth journey that is particularly lonely, this is something I've gone through a lot, I think, in the last year, it can be really helpful to realize that that we're being invited to something here too. We're being invited to, in, to sit with and visit with our inner sage, you know, the wise part of us that is sort of cut off from the world. You know, they say that the universe whispers its, secret to, its secrets to us in silence, in stillness. And Though that feeling of being lonely can be really difficult, especially for an extroverted person, which I am, there's also a real invitation there, a real invitation to to meet with and visit that inner sage and to find the wisdom that is in your bones, you know, that you were born with, of the lives you've already lived, however it is that you conceive of reality, you have an immense amount of wisdom in you. And I think that sometimes when we go through these periods of our journey where we're growing, we don't really know where we're going and it gets really lonely. 
there can be an invitation there too. Because maybe, you know, maybe what it is, is actually we're, we're going through this now because we've really relied externally on other people for our sense of identity for a really long time. And so we have to go through this period of being lonely so we can find, going back to Thomas Mann's hermetic pedagogy, this sort of sealed off from the world so that we can find our own core, we can find our own center, we can find our own locus of identity within ourselves, not contingent on the world. Because then when people come back into your life, and look, I mean, we can talk law of attraction, we can talk universal principles, but at the end of the day, you put off a certain vibrational frequency and that is going to resonate with other people. And this is why oftentimes people start to get interested in growth work, for example, and they're like, but nobody really gets it. And it's like, well, you you just started, you know? And so the people that are in your life are in your life based off the energetic frequency that you've been authoring into your life for a very long time. And there's going to be, going to be a period where if you are... I don't want to use higher and lower too much here, but if you are moving to a higher perspective or a higher state of consciousness, or even let's just say a different way of being, if you just want to embody a different way of being in the world, there's going to be a a period of time where it feels like just loneliness, like where the old isn't working, the new's not here yet. And that period, you know, is needed God comes to you disguised as your life. And so it's all needed. There's nothing that you can just throw away and be like, well, thank God that's over. I mean, you can, but you could also say, well, there's probably immense wisdom in these lessons right now. And so if I turn toward them, right, even for the adventure, it's like you're climbing this mountain, you're moving into this new way of being, you know, it's up there somewhere, you hope, you don't know if you'll ever get it. And all of a sudden you find this cave. It's like, well, the adventure goes inside. The adventurer finds out who's in there. The adventurer is going to tap into the wisdom that is in there. And if you look through a lot of, you know, religious teachings and mythologies, they occur in a cave. Like, for example, um, the entire religion of Islam, right? That came to the prophet Muhammad when he went into a cave and refused to leave until he talked to God, essentially. And so that is another one of the opportunities that you're given in this part of your path. Like you're like, I want to get through this lonely part so I can get on with it. I can get into my life. I can get, you know, whoever it is that I'm here to serve into my life. And it's like, yeah, but maybe you need the cave right now because maybe you need to find God or maybe you need to find the self. Maybe you need to find that those two are the same. Who knows? But anyway, just a point here of, of recognizing that, There's a point to all of it, right? None of it is without lessons. None of it is trivial unless you treat it that way. And then it will be. And the lesson will leave and um, the same pain will come back later bearing a new lesson. And you'll have to, you know, the same lesson, but in a new way. And you'll have to learn it and you'll learn it then. All right, moving on. People have so much trouble finding their own identity and understanding exactly who they are because of the dynamic nature of the self. The paradoxical nature of our own being is felt when you realize that you must be in touch with the eternal and unchanging self, your soul or essence, yet you are also in constant flux, as the version of you that shows up in the physical world is always making slight modifications based on the environment you're in. Our challenge is to allow our essence to shine through despite the perceived tyranny of the environment around us. The deeper we get into self, the more ease we feel when we're in the world. 
If you can remember that you are the one playing the game but aren't, aren't necessarily the character you're playing, you can hold space for the fact that your character will evolve and change throughout the course of your life and that's okay. Every evolution of your personality, interests, or passions is not a reason for an identity crisis. Now, one of the reasons we have so much trouble with change and transition in our life is because we put our identity in the external world and then the external world changes and then we don't know who we are. But one of the things I said here is like, you'll, if you feel more ease in yourself, you'll feel more ease in the world. And what I'm saying here is if you take the time to embrace that moment where you you are having to find the inner sage and you're in the cave and you are lonely, well then when you emerge and you start calling new things back into your life, they're going to be additives. They're not things that are going to be carriers of your identity anymore. They're not going to be things that are that you are outsourcing your self-worth to anymore. It's like you know who you are finally and I think that's a process that goes our entire lives, but I think that you can definitely center yourself on who you are and that's what it, that's what it means to be self-realized, right? To realize who you really are. And then everything else in the world becomes like play, you know? It becomes like something that you get to engage with. It's not life or death. It's not a matter of your identity. It just is and you get to be part of it. And when you're in that place of witnessing that and watching that, then you get to see the magic in life. Then you get to see it all unfold in front of you. So I think I'm going to stop there. Maybe we'll continue this at a different time. The chapter goes on for one, two, three, eight more pages, but we'll call it there. Um, anyway, a couple of things before I move on. If any of this resonated with you and you want to like really start working through this, it's the journey I've been on for a while. And... Um, I am taking one-on-one clients right now. I think I have three openings, two or three openings. And so if you're interested, I'll link that up in the show notes of this episode too. And you know, I think sometimes it can be helpful when you're on this journey to just have somebody to talk to about it and to shed light on it and to help you, to help guide you in a sense back to that version of yourself, back to remembering who you really are. <laughs>